You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rusk. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rusk Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rusk AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Yes, thank you so much for joining me on the Australian Finance Podcast today. Thanks so much for having me, Kate. Now we're talking about a very requested topic today, which is how to talk to your kids about money and how to give them some of those tools and resources so they're better equipped to go out in the modern world and make better money decisions and hopefully set themselves up for financial success as they grow up. So it is wonderful to have you on the show today. And before we kick things off, I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of background into who you are and the work you're doing at the moment in this space. Sure. So my name's Ish Ko. I'm the Managing Director of KIT. Um, it's a money app for kids. We are built by Combank. And personal background, I uh, did a major in finance and also studied engineering and have worked in not-for-profits um, for a long time before um, going to the world of digital. And I've been um, on the journey of KIT from the very beginning. And what we do now at KIT, we help kids build their financial capability together with their parents. And to do that, it's all about learning by doing. So there's a virtual account and a prepaid card and all comes with parental controls, um, but also just in what we call just-in-time education. So um, teaching them about money as they're using the app and when certain things happen, because you know that's the best time to teach is when there's a real learning moment or situations are happening. Mm, and a lot of parents are asking for resources and tools to help kickstart this conversation with their kids and start teaching them how to use money, especially when it's a digital thing that we don't see and touch anymore. And 
One of the big things I was reading in a report on financial capability for kids was the importance of helping them solve real world problems. And I was wondering, just to kick the conversation off, how can we start helping the young people in our lives, whether it's our kids, godchildren, grandchildren, whoever it is, how can we help them start solving real life problems with money? Um, So the first thing is to just talk to them about everyday situations. There is a really big taboo, I think, around talking about money, particularly for people who don't feel that they're really confident about money or feel like they don't have it all, which, you know, in reality, no one really is a wizard. But it doesn't mean that, you know, that means you're not qualified to talk about it. What you can talk about with your kids is the everyday things. So, you know, when you're in the supermarket, when you're choosing different products, why would you choose one product over the other? You know, the promise of buying in bulk, that is teaching kids about money, because that is to do with how you choose to spend money. The fact that you go to work to earn money, if you've got overtime, like how you earn more for overtime. So all of these little everyday moments that involve money, that is how it's important to talk to your kids about that and make it feel like it's normal and don't kind of put any sort of shame around it. I think a lot of people feel a bit terrified because of the taboo that, you know, your kid might be out in public one day and ask somebody how much they earn and, you know, you would die from social embarrassment. But um, it's really good if your kid is curious and, you know, it's good to encourage the question. Obviously, you can have the conversation around, you know, where is it appropriate to ask these questions and those kinds of comments. But in the household, it's really good to thank them for their curiosity and really try and dig into like, you know, why do they ask that question? You know, sometimes you might find out that they're afraid that how much they might have to earn in the future to afford a house because, you know, people are talking about how houses are so expensive now. And you can actually talk to them about the process of how you need to save up over time to then buy a house and how you might go to a bank to borrow money so that you can buy a house and pay it off over time. Mm, encouraging those open conversations about money as early as possible are so important. I was wondering, as a child and as maybe a parent of a child, what does financial capability in your kid look like? Like, how do you know if you're actually teaching the skills that you want to teach to your kids? So we have worked with Ernst Australia um, to develop a financial capability framework, and they describe a couple of different domains um, of financial capability, as well as what it might look like at certain ages. So those domains and the ones that we focus on um, as kids are the ability to have constructive conversations about money and being able to ask for help, the ability to earn money. And for kids, that tends to be informal, although it can be formal as well, because, you know, they're 11 year olds selling bracelets on eBay or Etsy. So, but typically that's done through household chores. So the idea that, you know, you need to work and money comes from effort, the ability to apply spending strategies. So not just spending all your money, but thinking about how you spend your money. And then finally, the ability to set and achieve savings goals. The other two domains are around keeping your money safe and being able to know how to use financial products in an age-appropriate way, of course. So they're the kind of six domains when it comes to financial capability. For the way, other way that I like to think about it is people often talk about financial literacy, and that's quite different to financial capability. So you can be really financially literate, but also terrible at money, because financial literacy is really about knowledge and understanding of different concepts. But financial capability is not just that, but it's also the skills and the attitudes that you have towards money and 
all those things together combining to really positive financial behavior. So have a think about your kids. What is their attitude towards money? Are they, you know, just not thinking about it at all? <laughs> and um, or are they um, thinking that money grows on trees? Because that's one of those really key important things to learn. And then skills and behaviors, like how are they interacting with money day to day? And what's their exposure to it? So, you know, sending your kid off with some money and saying, go to the supermarket and here's $20 and bring me the change. That is actually building their financial capability because they're learning about how you need to pay for something. And they're thinking about, you know, I'm buying these things. Do I have enough money to pay for it? There's often a really big gap between the the learning and the doing, especially with when I've spoken to listeners of our podcast, even like learning about ETFs is a very different skill to actually making your first investment. <laughs> and do you find that parents have a bit of a challenge bridging that gap? I think it's not necessarily a challenge, but I do think it's something that more broadly people aren't aware of. The fact that I think a lot of people think we need standardised lessons in school to teach our kids about money and that will make them good at money. But really that's about financial literacy. And yes, that absolutely is important to understand what is the formula for compound interest and things like that. Yes, it is important in a school you know, a schooling arena to learn about those concepts, but really is the role of parents and children. There's lots of research that shows that the influence of parents on their kids' financial capability is so strong that if you had an unemployed household, and this was a study that was done in Europe, an unemployed household who talked to their kids about saving, you actually had kids that saved just as much as if you had quite a well-off household where the parents didn't talk to their kids about money. So it's shown that the best thing you can do for kids between, say, 8 to 12 is give them a source of pocket money, make, help them make their own decisions and make their own mistakes about money, talk to them about the benefits of saving and um, as they start to get a bit older, thinking about how to earn and some more of those complex topics. Those are kind of shown to significantly improve outcomes as adults. Yeah, and how do you suggest tackling the problem of the digital money world because when I was a kid I was given physical pocket money because I'd done chores around the house or helped mow the lawn or things like that and I could actually see what I was spending I could see the change I was getting and that helped build my conceptual understanding of money how do parents deal with it now when it's all digital It's really difficult, particularly because at younger ages, kids are very concrete thinkers. So it's, um, you know, at the age of four, there's a typical step where kids start to understand that money has value and they can start to recognise sort of coins and notes and so forth. The problem with digital is that when you have a card and you tap it, you don't actually see money being taken away. And there actually have been studies that show that If you're handing over like physical cash versus handing over tap, when you're actually giving uh, or spending money, it's actually triggers this part of your brain that it almost mimics physical pain. So when you're tapping something rather than giving sort of tangible coins, there's actually sort of less pain in your brain, which is why it's so easy. You can just go, oh, tap, tap, tap. So what's important to do when you are using digital money is to show the before and the after and show the consequence of it. So get into the habit with your kid. If they are spending on a card, get them to check their balance afterwards because they'll say, I had this much, this number, now the number's lower. And also there's also the hard lesson to learn that we see where kids using the product all the time, they try to spend the money that they don't have in their account and then it doesn't work. And they need to learn that, yeah, it's not limitless. (laughs) Yeah, because that's the interesting thing. When you had the physical money, you knew when you'd run out of it. You couldn't get an ice cream, whereas if you've got a card and you're not checking in with the balance, you might not know if you've run out of money. 
Exactly. And it's pretty embarrassing when you go to buy something and it taps and then it says, sorry, you don't have enough money. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, uh, that's an interesting one, like checking in that balance. Because I mean, as an adult, I don't check in my debit card balance on a daily basis. So I just know that I put a certain amount in at the start of the month so that it should get me through. Whereas I guess as a child, if you're only having maybe $20 in there, you probably burn through that a lot more quickly. (laughs) And a lot of us are uncomfortable talking about money. We might not have ever talked about it with our friends and family. How can we start to change that with the young people in our lives? It's a huge question because it's a big social issue as well. And I think a lot of it comes down to thinking about, you know, self-reflection, where does that discomfort come from yourself? And think through, like, how did you learn about money from your parents? And what were some of the attitudes or behaviours that kind of were transmitted from your parents to yourself and where that comes from? And you need to kind of forgive yourself because I feel some people feel like, oh, I have credit card debt or I'm using the buy now, pay later schemes and, you know, I'm terrible at money so I just shouldn't talk about it and I feel terrible about it. But that's actually it's better to talk about it than not to talk about it at all. So being kind to yourself, you know, feeling yourself, the biggest thing to build your own confidence really is to just take a small positive step yourself. So it's hard to teach your kids. It's really important to save money if you yourself are not saving money. So you can try and think about like, what is the one small thing you could do to try and improve your own financial capability and then share that with your child. So it might be, you know, I want to get into a savings habit and think about, you know, based on your budget, am I saving towards a family holiday? Do it as a combined family thing and say, hey, we would love to go, you know, our goal at the end of this year, we want to save up this much. That'll help us get to this kind of holiday. That makes it exciting because kids love to spend time with their parents. It's good to have a goal. You stay more motivated when you've got multiple people encouraging each other towards a goal. And that makes it more friendly and contained and it will make it easy for you to talk about that in a small way, which hopefully gives you confidence in the future to talk about more and more things. Yeah, I like the idea of getting the whole family on board with saving and working towards a family holiday. And that probably ties into that financial capability piece because you can give the kids different parts of the holiday to research and actually get them to find out, well, how much does that cost? And does that fit in with the budget we've put together for the holiday? Exactly. And it's also good, a good way as a parent to try and outsource some of that, <laughs> some of that work. <laughs> Have you tried that yourself? <laughs> My kid is a little bit too young for that at the moment, but we've definitely heard of um, customers who do that. You know, you can, if you've got a 12 or 13 year old, you can ask them to try and find a better electricity provider and <laughs> you can incentivize them to help you with that. Yeah, I mean, that's probably a good one to, if you've got a slightly <laughs> older child to get them practicing right now, given the, uh, the cost of many of our service providers is going up. Yes. And what about different money personalities? Because a lot of people, when they write into us, they're like, oh, my kid is like this. They love spending or they love saving or they really want to invest quite early on because maybe they did a program at school or the parents got them onto the podcast really early. How do we better understand our child or the young person in our lives, money personality, and then use that to more positively help them build money skills? So a lot of the different money personalities come down to the individual personality traits of the child. So um, you mentioned there, there's kids who love to spend and they tend to be, if you've ever heard of the ocean personality scale, so that's um, how open you are, how conscientious, extroverted, agreeable and 
neurotic, but as sort of psychologists talk about like the big five kind of personality traits and money personality, money behavior is kind of linked through into associated with those personality traits. So a kid that loves to spend tends to be quite agreeable. So, you know, they love spending time with their friends and money is about they want to have fun with their friends. There's been some really interesting research that shows that if you can tie good money behavior into what really interests your child, it's more likely that they'll be receptive to it. So for example, if you've got a kid that just loves to spend everything, you're trying to say, you know, it's important to spend, but it's also important to save. Think about why they might want to save that ties into the fact that they love spending time with their friends. So for example, if they're saving for an item that is for their that they can use with all their friends. Or if you're trying to say, if something goes wrong, you know, you need to set some money aside in the future because you might be able to help out a friend. That's one way. If you've got a kid on the other side who is saving all of their money and hoarding it last year, if you spend it, you know, it's great that they're saving money, but it is important to also know how to apply spending strategy. So it's all about balance, right? So um, with that kind of kid, you could talk about the needs versus wants and what are the things that they give them some accountability for money, which is more like a need. So for example, you could tell them, I'm going to give you this amount of money and you're actually in charge of buying the clothes, your clothes for the whole year. You could do that for like, maybe not a six-year-old, but like more like a 10-year-old. This is your budget. You've got a year. And so they know that they do need to spend the money. You're giving them that opportunity and they can see why, because it's, you know, important that have clothes if they run out they'll know but then that gives them the opportunity to spend money in a way that's kind of aligned to their own kind of personality so you know it's not just about spending money on frivolous things that they just don't think are important yeah so kind of like meeting them where they're at what they need at that particular age personality as well the other interesting thing um is also that as parents Sometimes, you know, you've got your own view of what you want your kids to be spending time on or not spending time on. And um, I've spoken to a customer, actually, who said, you know, I want to get my kid to save, but he wants to save for Pokemon cards and I just don't want him to have that plastic crap. And I said, well, actually, yes, it may be plastic crap and maybe you don't approve of it, but the best way to keep your kids motivated is to go with their interest. You know, if it's the $30 is it better to not have them save it all or is it better to encourage them on the journey of saving the $30 for the thing that they really want and then they buy it and they feel that sense of achievement? So you know, letting go a little bit um, <laughs> of some of that within within reason. But if you can get kids and use their own what they're interested, use their own motivations, it works so much better. Yeah, I really like that approach. And one of the other things I was interested in discussing was talking to your kids about the concept. We've talked about the idea of digital money and the the tapping and going. But what about the idea of a bank account that instead of just having a piggy bank, like I had when I was very young, where I would just put my pocket money in there. And then after a while, I'd finally get it turned into something when you'd pour all the money in the machine at the bank and it counts up all the coins. What about the idea of a bank account? Because that seems like it could be slightly tricky to explain to a child. Yeah, I mean, I have very strong memories of when I was a kid and um, you put the money into the bank and you think that they've stolen your money because where did it go? I gave it to them, but they didn't give it back to me. I think the most important thing and the reason why you store money in the bank is all about keeping your money safe. And it's about making sure that you can access your money when you need to. And also there's an opportunity to earn interest if you have a savings product. So if you don't spend money, there is really some benefit to having that money growing and earning money for you for the future. 
So that's kind of learning about the benefits of interest. So I think for kids, taking them to, if you ever are visiting a bank branch, I think that happens pretty rarely nowadays for most people. Yeah, but showing how it works. Kids are fascinated about ATMs. And this one, we have a little story on our app that explains how ATMs work. It's one of the most popular ones. You know, how does you store money in the bank and how do you actually get physical cash out from a machine and how does it know? All of these things are um, about being an adult and the kids love like understanding how it is that, you know, the adult world works. Mm. So maybe putting the money in the bank account and then showing them how the balance changes when you withdraw some money from the ATM or linking it back to the other thing where you can show them the balance on the app that has gone up now that they've put their spare change into the bank account. Yeah, I think the more ways you can find to make it tangible. Yes. Um, And what about budgeting and goals? So one of the, the challenges even for me is thinking about current me versus future me and how much money do I allocate to myself now versus the things I want on the future. I might really want an ice cream today because it's a really hot day, but I also want a Pokemon card, which might take me a few weeks. I'm not sure what Pokemon cards cost, but uh, probably something a few weeks to save up for. How do you approach that conversation with clients and on the app? So what's really important before you spend is to think about as to not do spending on autopilot. So we have a little um, story in our app that talks about asking yourself, do I really want this? And is there something I want more? And a key differentiation for kids is, is this a need or is this a want? And even as adults, sometimes we have trouble distinguishing that. I mean, everything feels like an immediate need. (laughs) I need this. I need this. No, it's actually a want. So the best thing you can do is to every time that you're making a spend is just have that conversation, you know, are we buying this as a need? Is it a want? Is there something that I want more? And I hear about children learning this the hard way. And it is good to, you know, let them learn this the hard way where they check their balance and they really want that toy in Kmart and it's $20 and they realise if I hadn't bought that lolly last week, I would have enough money. It's much better that they learn that lesson themselves rather than you having to nag them all the time about it. Yeah. And that's an interesting one. Like how, how much do you let your kids make mistakes with money? And I know that it can be quite challenging. Like my mom had to watch me get my first full-time job. This is a bit further on. Like I was a part-time job age and I just spent everything I earned from my first part-time job. And my mom's just going, you really should save something. But at the end of the day, I had to make those mistakes and learn from it myself to get out to the other side. (laughs) Yeah, I always say it's um, better to start young and get them to make a $10 mistake than a $10,000 mistake when they're 18 and get a credit card. So, <laughs> I mean, I probably did waste quite a few thousand dollars on uh, very materialistic stuff when I got my first few part-time jobs, but um, I'm better at saving and investing now, thankfully. So I, I did come out the other side, but my parents did have to watch me uh Uh, with a bit of worry for a while and provide some gentle nudges. But of course, when you're a kid, you don't really want to listen to your parents. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And what about helping kids keep track of their spending? Are there any tools at work, like uh, writing it out on the fridge or having some sort of monthly family check-in or something like that? I really encourage a regular check-in as a family. You can do that, you know, a lot of families, even if they don't use an app or they do it, you know, with paper on the fridge around sort of chores and paying for chores. And at the end of the week, you kind of 
sum up what they've done and, you know, give it a little payday. So in the kit up, we have a payday sort of as well. And the reason why we do that is that we don't want kids necessarily to be earning money straight away. We want them to kind of have a, a rhythm, kind of like what we as adults do when you have a job and you have payday. So, you know, you don't get money straight away. You have to work, you have to wait a little bit and then you get it. But that's also a really good trigger in a moment to have a conversation about, you know, it's a celebration moment. It's like, well done, you've done your chores this week. You know, you've earned this much money. What do you want to do with it? Would you like to spend it? Would you like to save it? So, yes, regular check in rhythm and make it a habit so that, you know, you don't have to feel like it's just another one of those things on the to-do list that you have to remember, but it just becomes natural part of how the family works. And the second thing is, I think we were mentioning before about just making it really visible how much money you have. If you don't have a piggy bank, it's if you have an app, do you make sure you check it every time before you go for a spend and after you spent that you can see how much the balance has gone down if you spent you can keep it visible as well. So some people use like, you know, use like a thermometer chart. So when you have a goal, you're trying to say towards more visible you can make it, the more front of mind it stays. So, um, and the more you can kind of make make it exciting, do little celebrations. So if you've got a thermometer that you want to like um, colour in and you get towards the top and you have little like uh, degrees, you can have mini celebrations along the way to keep kids motivated because we know that they, it's hard for them to stay concentrated for a long period of time. So um, the more you can encourage, motivate and celebrate, yeah, the more motivated they'll be. Yeah. And especially as your kids get slightly older and they're working towards slightly bigger financial goals, maybe they want a bike instead of an ice cream this time. And so that actually might take them six months or a year to save up for and I guess coming back to that weekly check-in of how can you help them set a longer-term financial goal and also stay on track and motivated during that process? Yeah, so I think firstly it's important to make sure that the goal that's being set is what we call a SMART goal. So, you know, make sure it's really specific, it's measurable, you have an action plan. So, you know, if your kid wants to have a a $1,000 bike and it's going to take six months to 12 months to save up, how are they going to get that money? Is it going to be is it going to be enough just to save a certain portion of the pocket money? Do they need to go and do something else? Make sure it's relevant, something they really like. And then timely, that's the T of SMART. So make sure that that the deadline they've given themselves or when they want to get it is really achievable for them. So if the goal is reasonable, you've got a plan on how to do it, then encouraging them. We worked with the behavioural insights team around, you know, what are the things that you can nudge in terms of behaviour to help kids stay on track for their goals. So one of them is tell other people. So if you tell other people, you get them involved, they'll, you know, naturally ask you, how's that going? You know, tell your relatives, tell your friends, I'm saving for this and I want it by this time. And they'll help you stay on track because um, they'll keep asking you about it. Another one is to break it down into small bits and celebrate those small wins so you stay on track. So, you know, a goal that's going to take 12 months, break it down so you've got mini goals along the way and then have a little celebration when you do hit all those mini goals. Another way is to try and do it with other people and keep you motivated. So if you're saving for, I don't know, a bike, what's something else that, you know, as you as a parent might be saving for and doing it together as a family. So maybe you want to say, you know, oh, I'm going to set aside some money every month as well and you can check in with each other regularly, see how that's going. But always stay positive. If the kid isn't interested anymore, don't push it. <laughs> you don't have to achieve because it's for the sake of achieving. It's more about getting into that habit of saving, putting money away to really build that capability. Mm, and I, I can see that working on that goal together and helping the child break it down into small moments, even if the goal changes five times during the process. Because I remember when I was younger, I would 
change what I what career I wanted to do every week, let alone what I was saving for and what I wanted to do with my money. So I think just like going in flexibly, but also going, well, we'll just focus on the process more than the outcome here. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. And what about the challenge of immediate gratification? Because that's hard for us even as an adult. How do you teach your kids skills to deal with that desire to have everything now? It's really hard because I think we as consumers in a digital economy want everything now and like delivered to us straight away. And you can, you've got a myriad of apps where you can just get people to come to your house with food or bring a car in two minutes. So, you know, the digital ecosystem really does do everything it can to almost make you want things straight away. And delay gratification is actually really key. It's not just about money, but it's just in life in general that the ability to put some effort in or put some money away now for a payoff in the future is something that's been shown to have a really strong correlation, the ability to achieve goals, whether it's financial or life goals overall. So the best thing that you can do is really about building willpower and building practice. So delay gratification, if you, it's about in the moment, creating a routine to kind of interrupt that automatic thing of, oh, I'm just going to take the card. Oh, I'm just going to buy this. So um, create a habit where it's, okay, before I spend, you know, I want to always ask myself, do I really want this? Is this something that I want more or something I'm working towards that I want more? So get into that habit. The other way you can do it is to try and create the environment where delayed gratification is easier. So if it's about not going online shopping, like try and avoid those pitfalls where you know you're going to get stuck in and you know it's not always possible with kids because I'm going out with friends and things like that but you said that you can sort of for yourself help um, minimize those temptations another way is to create some automated habits with kids they need to learn that it is important to save so if you put in an automatic sort of transfer for example into a savings account it doesn't have necessarily the same effect as if you get them the first few times they have money to deliberately make that decision about, am I going to spend this or am I going to save this? The behavioural scientists that we worked with said, you know, the first four to five times, give them money, give them the option, do you want to spend it or do you want to save some of this and have a talk about why you might want to do this. And then after that, you can then create kind of an automatic savings pattern. Once they've kind of made that deliberate decision, they understand why you want to do it, you can then automate it because that also helps delay gratification if the money isn't easily available to you and it's sort of automatically being stashed away for you. The other thing to do is um, what we do in the app, for example. So we have what we call stacks. They're like savings buckets. You can put the money in there. It's not on the card. So if you try to tap your card, it won't work, but the money's in stacks in your account. We've also put in a little nudge so that we make it not as sort of seamless to transfer money out because you expect, you know, with digital services now, it's really easy. What we've actually done is if you try to transfer money out of a stack, it'll just set, it has a little prompt that comes up and says, are you sure you want to do this? You know, it might, you know, slow your progress towards your goal. And so just like trying to interrupt that sort of automatic, oh, I'm just going to do this and not really think about it, to just have that moment of, oh, wait, let me think, do I really want to spend this money? That reflection. Yeah, I like that because I'm a big fan of automating your finances, especially as an adult. But I I guess when it comes to teaching kids about money and giving them that capacity to manage it themselves, actually doing it manually, especially the first few times, so they get that concept and they actually go, this is what I'm doing with the money. I'm saving it and putting aside for a future goal and being really intentional about it. 
Because if you automate things too quickly before you learn the skill, then it might just happen in the background and you don't realise. They don't know why, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I really like that. And I wanted to throw this question on the spot to you here because it's often a controversial thing is the idea of pocket money. And what are your thoughts on pocket money? Do you think it is a good thing to do? Do you think it should be earned? And do you think it plays an important role in teaching kids how to manage their money? So we know that the Australian population, about seven out of 10 kids get regular pocket money. So it is definitely common. We don't pretend to be a parenting expert or tell people how to parent their kids. Um, But we do know from a financial capability perspective, having a regular source of income with which kids can then make decisions about what they save and what they spend does lead to financial capability. Whether that's pocket money, whether that's another way that you as a parent want to do it, that's really up to parents. I know that with chores, there is sometimes a concern that, you know, if you put dollar amounts against chores, then kids won't do anything unless they're paid for it. But really, that comes down to how you as a parent explain those chores. If you make chores optional, and you put dollar amounts, and you say it's up to you, then kids will treat it like it's optional. It is important. In my household, I already have my, I have a three-year-old and is contributing to the household can say this is a mess and let's go pack away things and you know that's part of the expectation of being part of a household so my advice would be if something is an expectation in the household that you want kids to help out with make it an expectation some families do tie it to pocket money um so we in the kid app for example we've got different types of chores because we know that families do it really differently so we've got the concept of payday which is say you've got ten dollars a week in pocket money and you can put it chores that don't have dollar amounts attached to them, but you have to do all those things in order to get your pocket money. If you don't do all those things, you might not get all of that money. That way, it's very clear that those chores are not optional and that's required. You can say, you know, these are part of the household expectations and just like I have to go to work and do these jobs to get my pay, you know, similar kind of concept. But then we've also got other what we call bonus jobs, where you can put dollar amounts on it. So you can say, you know, these things, if you want to earn more, here are some other things that you can do and this is what you might earn for those kinds of things. Okay, so it's super flexible, so it suits whatever families. Yes. We don't want to say, you know, there's one right way. Every parent knows their own kids, the best, different personalities, what motivates them. And we're just about providing a flexible tool so the help of parents do it, it will work for them. Yeah, that's fantastic. I know when I was a kid, there was like the set household responsibilities that we all just got involved with. And then there were bonus things I could do for a bit of extra pocket money, like helping dad wash the car. Wash the car, yep. Do some gardening. <laughs> the gardening, yes. That was uh, always a getting dragged out, kicking and screaming as a kid to do that. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> was there anything else you wanted to chat about today with teaching kids about money? I think the most important thing to take away is you don't have to be a financial whiz to raise kids who are good with money. As long as you always stay positive and you give them the opportunity to get a bit of money, make their own decisions about saving and spending and have those conversations, you are well on the way to having kids that will be financially savvy. Well, that is wonderful to hear. And if people want to learn a bit more about you and Kit, where should they head to? Uh, So you can download Kit from the App Store or the Play Store um, under the finance section, or you can visit our website, heykit.com.au. And it's free? We currently charge no monthly fees, so you don't have to worry about that. Wonderful. Well, uh, I love plenty of helpful tools that don't have a high cost to them. So easy for people to have a download and have an experiment with. Brilliant. Thank you.
Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the finance podcast today. It was wonderful to hear from you. Thanks so much for having me, Kate. Really enjoyed the chat. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no-obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.